Whatever it means to you, episode 49. So close. So close to 50. The big 5-0, man. Um, but this isn't about that. This is about mm-hmm. our guests and episode 49 tonight. Uh, Mr. Chris and Miss Karen Reed have a lot going on. Dude, outrageous. Yeah. How do you yeah. juggle that much? And they both seem so normal. Yeah, they're totally chill. Yeah. I would not really be chill. that chill. I would not <laughs> be that chill. So Ten yeah. kids and 18 jobs yeah. that you're not getting paid for. Like, yeah. You're, you're, yeah. Nonprofits and co-ops and doing this and doing that and being pulled here and there. Yeah. Saints. How, right? They're saints. How? How? Uh, any, anyway, enjoyed learning about them, discussing several different things that they have going on. Uh, a lot of similarities, a, a lot of connections that we have uh, as well with them, just like you'd expect in in, in the community uh, around here and also the community that, that we've kind of built around the podcast as well. So I hope you all enjoy listening, and uh, please welcome Chris and Karen, episode 49. All right, WMT Podcast, episode 49. Uh, we're here with Chris and Karen Reed today. What's up, y'all? Hey, how's How it going? How you doing? Good. Good. Right on. Uh, you all are busy. Yes. <laughs> you have a lot going on. You uh, you sent me over some of the stuff that I was already kind of aware of. And then on top of that, uh, before we get into all that, right before we started this podcast, she told me that between the two of you, you're responsible for 10 children. <laughs> yeah. I want to hear about that. How'd that happen? <laughs> How does? Well, it's kind of a funny story. When we we met, I was playing in a band, and we were playing Seville Quarter, and we met, and we liked each other, and we were talking, and I had just been, just gotten out of a relationship. What band were you in at Seville? The Modern Eldorados. Oh, okay. I didn't know you played in Modern Eldorados. I played for about 15 years in that band, yeah. I was the drummer. Um but anyway, we, we had talked on the phone a couple times when we liked each other. And in the back of my mind, I was like, how is she going to respond when she finds out that I have three kids? Because I had been divorced and, uh, and, and had three kids. So I was talking to her on the phone and I said, hmm. I bet you don't have any kids, though, do you? Or something like that. I said, I said something like, you don't have kids, do you? And, uh, and you, you want to chip in here? I had a friend that had told me I needed to stop telling people I had kids when I first met him because it was scaring people away. And I said, well, I don't, they don't want me with my kids. And I, I don't want them. I don't, I don't even want to get involved. And so when I met him, I decided not to say anything at first. And, uh, I mean, we didn't go on a, a lot of dates or anything like that. But, um, and then one day on the phone, I mentioned being divorced. And he said, oh, you don't have any kids, do you? And he said it like disgusted. <laughs> and I. Wait, is that like reverse psychology? Or yeah, something? I think so. And I was like, actually, I do. And it got real quiet. And then after a few seconds, he goes, I bet you don't have more than me. And I said, I bet I do. <laughs> and he said, I have three. And I said, I have four. And then it was like a big weight was lifted off because we were both like, oh, good. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I was I was kind of feeling her out to see how she was going to respond if what you know, and then I guess she was. That's that's how she responded, and <laughs> we had a good laugh about it. 
because I thought that there's no way in hell she had more kids than me because I had three. I did. And then we got married and had three more. Wow. I don't know what the hell we were thinking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. so how does how does that work? I mean, I would, I would assume with having that number of children in your household that that they have to look out for each other quite a bit and like they each take on their own roles and like what does your chore chart look like? Um, <laughs> we never really did that because no. I always saw things like the Duggars and thought those kids are going to grow up and hate their parents, you know. And so, um, anytime they help out with their siblings or babysitter or something, I'll have I'll pay them, you know. Yeah. So it's always an option, and I always I always pay them for it. We have um, a we have, a and they're gro- they're wide range. So like the oldest is twenty three, and the youngest is three. So there's a and they're all in between mm. also, but. There's a, a pretty wide range. It's a lot easier now that we do have older kids and younger kids. But for a while there, they were all kind of compact and around the same age. And, oh, it was so tough. That was that was pretty tough for a little bit. But, yeah. Um, just going to the store and, you know, anything that would require us having to take them with us. Now we can be like, hey, you want to babysit for an hour? I'll pay you. Yeah. <laughs> Let me go to the store. And, and they're okay with that. So. Yeah. And we have uh, our 16-year-old. It's, um, that's how he pays his phone bill. He yeah. has to babysit a, a certain number of hours per month to pay his phone bill. And he, he babysits above and beyond that, but that's what he does. That's kind of his thing. That's how he pays his phone bill. I have to be honest. This is kind of shocking to me because I, I understood how busy you all were already, and I had no idea of that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that that's just, I mean, congratulations, first of all. And, I mean, you see, you both seem to have it reasonably together you know you know well it's really cool um that was mainly why we started businesses you know especially the therapy business was to have more time to do what we need to do because i never wanted to have the kids grow up without a a mom or a dad there because they were always working and things like that so yeah so so you find uh being an entrepreneur of sorts well first of all before that we get too much into this let's let's discuss what you guys actually do let's let's let our listeners know uh, whichever you would like to start you go ahead um, well, about 10 years ago, uh, we decided I became certified as a behavior analyst. Before Can you that, a little closer to the microphone? Yeah. Before that, I was a licensed mental health counselor uh, working with juvenile justice, um, children in juvenile justice facilities, and I really liked that. But um, I decided to do something different and got a job working at a facility for children with special needs and aggression and... Um, low IQs. Uh, It was basically an, not inpatient, but a residential facility. And that was in Mobile. And when I went out there, I made the promise to them that I would become certified as a behavior analyst within a year if I was to work out there. And um, I like school. So I said, sure. And ended up falling in love with it and liked it a ton better than than, uh, counseling. Because with counseling, you feel like you plant seeds all the time, but you don't really get to see them flourish. And with behavior analysis, you pick little small goals and you get to see them progress you get to graph it you get to you know the nerd in me loves that so um you get to see all of the changes immediately not hope they change later when they leave your office and uh so i went over there and did that and really liked it and then i'm from here though and this was in mobile and we had all these kids and so we looked into maybe starting a business uh, for behavior analysis because it was covered here Um, in florida uh, a mandate was put out and made the insurance companies cover behavior analysis and so we 
came like, over here. Like for for all age groups, or well, it's it's anybody with an autism diagnosis right now. Okay. Behavior analysis is good for anybody. Well, that's what I was going to ask. What's the difference between like counseling and behavior analysis? Um, with applied behavior analysis, it, it looks uh, with counseling, you kind of go in once a week. You do a little bit of counseling. Your person picks your goals. Uh, your counselor, and then um, and then you, it's like talk therapy. Uh, with behavior analysis, it's based in um, it's based in science. Uh, not that counseling is not, but it's very much based and rooted in science. And so, um, it, you know, it's stimulus response reinforcement. You know, and um, we we work a lot on providing reinforcement for the appropriate behaviors and trying to um, diminish the problem behaviors. And it just it. It is more scientifically rooted. It's based off of like Skinner's theories. If you are familiar with Skinner, uh, not really. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty ignorant on, on the psychology uh, forms of things. I, I, wasn't there a Skinner box? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah. 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 And that. Uh, yeah. So it basically is. Um, the rat is never wrong. Mm-hmm. You say the Skinner box and the Skinner box involved rats, right? Yeah. It talks about the rat is never wrong. So really the environment and the teachers and the, the people that are in your world shape how you're going to respond with their reinforcement and the consequences and everything that is going on around you. Um, so we kind of manipulate uh, the environment and work with them to um, to help them be everything that they can be starting mm. with little tiny incremental goals and, and building up yeah so you're a patient person yeah <laughs> with our clients <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you been doing that uh, about 10 years I've been doing that but I've always kind of been behaviorist in nature even when I did counseling I did a lot of I didn't really know what I was that I was doing it but I did a lot of um, hey you do this and you get this reinforcement or this reward or um, oh our environment needs to change to make you successful in this manner and I didn't realize that 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 was more behavior analytic than than counseling because we did learn about it in counseling, just not to the degree, degree that you learn about it when you move into learning about behavior analysis. Mm-hmm. And, and now, Chris, you're involved as well with the business. Well, you said that you're a, a tech? Yeah, I'm, that... it's an RBT. It's a registered behavior technician. Mm-hmm. Um, years ago when we first started, that position was actually called a tutor. We um, basically, what the line, it's the line therapist, basically the... Um, behavior analyst, the behavior analyst um, does the intake and designs the treatment plan and then the line therapist is the one that gets the one-on-one FaceTime with the kids for the most part. Yeah. How do you, how do you measure your successes with that? With the clients? Yeah. Well, we set a goal and the goal has to be measurable. I would assume that each one has to be different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're very individualized and you set goals and they have to be measurable and um, very specific and then we take data and we graph the data and then you see if they're progressing if they're not progressing then you make a change in their treatment okay and uh, and if they are progressing then you go with it and all of your clients are on the spectrum somewhere um, 
yes, majority. The majority. The insurance coverage for most companies other than Medicaid is only for children with autism. Medicaid will cover anything that a doctor re- recommends. So if a doctor recommends applied behavior analysis for any, any child, they're able to receive it. Um, so the majority of our clients are do have autism or another developmental delay. Um, we also have a counseling department, though. And so the counseling department sees everybody. It's in a separate building, and, and they see anybody who needs counseling. I'm mainly involved with the applied behavior analysis piece, and then we have a clinical director that handles the counseling piece okay. of it. And All then we right. also have a private school that's part of the um, therapy clinic that kind of evolved out of a need. Mm-hmm. Um, we had kids that were not being successful in school, and uh, so they started coming to us for therapy all day, and we were they need some kind of education they need some kind of schooling and so we kind of morphed into creating um, a school and and going from there with the educational piece as well and so we have about 30 kids in our private school now wow yeah it blew up pretty quick the first year we started we had what three kids yeah and that was and we didn't we never wanted to have a school it wasn't something that we sought out to do it was uh, a need and then we we met the need and trying to keep up with it our goal is to get them back into school to be successful and get back into school yeah so how many hours a week do you do you work then um i I would assume overseeing all that stuff do you have great people in charge uh yeah i have a great team of people and um they're very very supportive and between um i'd say we have a lot of supervisors, but then the core team is about three people, and they're extremely helpful. And um, you know, we all just continue to learn so that we can run the business better and better. Yeah. Yeah, I've been since Young Philosopher Society since we started that, and it's taken off. And I really have been spending most of my time there, as opposed to the therapy clinic. Yeah. Well, tell me more about Young Philosopher Society. Well, on the topic of us having so many kids, <laughs> when we moved here and um, when our son that's 10 now got to be school age, um, we decided we were going to homeschool him. And we. He's quite spirited. Yeah, he is a very <laughs> spirited And I was afraid yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't be very successful in school because I we had already seen yeah. um, and how I, that turns out. So. Yeah, and. Um, so we started, we basically, I think the genesis of Young Philosopher Society was to, to started really as the, I was a musician, she's an artist, and um, we thought it would be cool as basically the, the homeschool co-op that we started there. Um, that was really the beginning of um, Young Philosopher Society. And we, we were homeschooling a couple of our kids, and... I wanted something other than us that was teaching yeah, them. Yeah. You know, I wanted them to go, like, something that you would see in a big city where you'd go and get art classes here and get uh, a science class here and, um, you know, just different, interesting, neat classes. Uh, years ago, they used to have something for gifted kids called the Learning Center in town. Mm-hmm. And uh, you would go once a week with your public school, and there were just tons of classes that were offered. Um enrichment classes so yeah you know, you could do pottery you could do uh interviewing you could do acting and you got to choose these classes that you took all day long for a semester 
And it was such a fascinating program, and it always seemed not fair once I became an adult that only the gifted kids got to go to it. And so um, that was kind of my mindset for how I wanted to help Young Philosopher Society to be is, is enrichment classes that all kids could attend. And, um, and then with our specialty in working with kids with autism, I knew that they would be accepted with no problem because we knew how to work with right. them and they didn't scare us or um, there wasn't anything that held us back from having them attend the classes as well. So, Yeah, I've seen over the last couple of years since we've been doing this that we've had several parents bring their kid in and they're always like scared almost. Like, um, I want to go ahead and tell you up front, you know, he's on the spectrum and I can't tell you like how relieved they are to find out that it's a, a place that they're not going to be like judged or looked at. Yeah. Um, and it's, we welcome them. We welcome everybody to come and that's, that's kind of just, what so we, is it an, is it an always open kind of thing or uh, we right now we're only open whenever we have classes going on because you know like I said this is not it's not what we do for a living mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. I, I would love to see it grow into something to where we had like a staff of volunteers that could be there because you know it is a, literally a non-profit you know yeah. we, we charge five dollars for our classes and so we're not making a ton of money or mm -hmm. anything like that um so right now we're mainly open whenever we have classes and right now the main classes that we have outside of special events are our preschool and toddler um, music and art classes that we do. Yeah. And uh, what's your typical class like? I, I don't have a typical class because yeah. um, um, I don't make people register. We don't do any kind of like tuition where you are, you know, contractually obligated to come as opposed to, you know, some of the, um, and we have a kinder music class. We have an instructor that comes and does kinder music, and she's fantastic. But for kinder music, you have to sign up for a semester. So and we the, host those classes. Yeah, we, 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 don't. we host those. But the things that we offer our own, our, we call it punk pop preschool and exploring art for kids. Um, we want people to, to feel free to come if they wake up at 9 o'clock and are looking for something to do with their kid and don't have anything else to do where they don't have to like pre-register or sign a mm -hmm. monthly agreement or anything like that. And yeah. uh, so it's really hard to gauge. I don't have a typical, some, some, some days I'll have 20 kids show up. Some days I'll have one or two kids come, which is really awkward for, <laughs> for, for me with a guitar singing. If you're happy and you know it with one kid looking at me like, <laughs> but, uh, I can imagine. Have you seen, uh, have you seen the movie Death to Death to Smoochie? Yes. <laughs> yes, I, I love that movie. Edward Norton was so good in that. Oh, Robin Williams was great in it, oh, too. Oh, he was, too. Yeah, yeah. it's one of the best movies ever. But I love that uh, I'm going to get you off that smack. Because <laughs> <laughs> that smack can lead to crack. <laughs> yeah, I love that movie. We've yeah. had a lot of classes, though, and, and we kind of run them for a little bit and then stop them. The ones he's talking about are the ones that are always going on. They're kind yes. of um, all the time. But we've we've in the past had elementary Spanish classes for kids, sign language classes. Um, we we do a take apart day that we try to do more often than we're doing right now. But usually it's about once a quarter where we have a lot of um, like broken items, you know, broken 
I go to local places. Electronics like, and, mm-hmm. and things like that and, and um, things that people don't use anymore that they've given to us. And then we have all the supplies and the materials and we give kids gloves and glasses and then we just take them apart. It's like a rage room? Yeah, pretty much. Well, well we don't no. beat them apart, yeah. but yeah. they no. take them apart to see what's on the inside and we print out like... Have what? you seen those? <laughs> no. The no. rage rooms? Oh, I've seen them. I'm, I'm, oh. <laughs> I want to go to one so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For, for the take it apart day, I normally I'll go like on like Google images or something and print out just a, a very generic um, electronic component page with the pictures of the components and have the kids take the stuff apart. We just have buckets of screwdrivers and just different tools to take stuff so apart. So it's like and, dissecting almost. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what it's like. Talking about how it functions and yeah. all right. that kind of stuff. And, and then, then we, last time we had them take those items and put them back together into an artwork. That yeah, was we had Dana cool. Bridges. Like I was going to say that back. sounds like something Dana would do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Dana Bridges come in. That's and, crazy how that's all kind of that's all kind of worked out. When Dana was in here, we told her that she needed to uh, meet up with our friend uh, Maxine, who's going to be supposedly she's going to be starting a podcast in 2019 as well, and it's been fun just to watch because we introduced them and now they're doing like full on projects together now, cool. and the fact that Dana's doing that and. To bring it full circle, I met Dana at your event. Oh yeah, at the uh, songwriter support. Group. Yeah, and she wasn't. She was just there with a guy. Yeah, it's her husband. Yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're not even musicians, but mm-hmm. you know. But I happen to know because we ran into them at like a Jason Isbell concert and stuff, and mm-hmm. so I've seen them around. And I thought that it would be something that they would be interested in, and in just coming and hanging and hear people do their original music. And, yeah. So that's how they wound up there. And I don't even think anybody played that night, did they? <laughs> Not when I was there, they didn't. Uh, it was, we had two awesome, you and uh, Jamie Shannon, we had two awesome presenters that night. And nobody wanted to play anything. We just wanted to listen to you guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was fun, man. I appreciate you inviting me out to um, do that. That's crazy how that all just... Yeah, it's very... How that organic. circle just... Uh, but that's the cool thing about our community, too, is, is especially a lot of your creatives and, and people who are doing that kind of thing. Uh, they kind of we look out for each other, you know, they kind of seek yeah. each other out and, and help out where they can right. and, and discuss ideas with each other, collaborate on projects. That's, that's one really cool thing about here. I heard you mention Jason Isbell, you know, he's coming to town, right? Yeah. yeah. For the festival, for the mm-hmm. songwriters festival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what he wants for Christmas. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, keep your fingers crossed. <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe, uh, yeah, man. If, if well, I mean, those tickets are expensive, but like, if, if each one of your kids can raise like yeah, right, <laughs> raise like ten bucks, you're in there, man. Yeah, right. Did you see that? Uh, recently, I just found this out the other day that Jane Lynch is coming to town. I, I saw you shared that yesterday. I saw yeah. It last night. Did you like, see how much the ticket prices are? They were ridiculous. Two seventy five. Oh yeah. Because I saw it, I was like, I'm going. Because uh, uh, what's her name? Kat, Kate Flattery or what's her, uh. The lady who plays Meredith from The Office is in uh-huh. it as well. Mm-hmm. And I saw that. I was like, oh, I'm going to this. Absolutely. I'm ordering my tickets right now. And I went and I selected a number of tickets, too. And my, like my total came up, and it was $550. And I was yeah. like, no, there's something wrong. Hold on. <laughs> I, they must have thought I put in 10 or something. Because <laughs> I was expecting maybe 50 bucks, you know, something like that. No, yeah. 275 Yeah, that's so. like. Well, it comes with stuff. Does it? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's a, it's a, a, dinner, a dinner and yeah. meet and greet. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, what I if I don't want any of that stuff though? What if I just oh, want to see the that. show? You want to meet and greet. You want to do that. I don't care about that. I don't. I don't get weird about <laughs> that kind of stuff. But uh, well, maybe if I get a picture with Meredith from the from the office, maybe. But who knows? <laughs> who knows? Yeah, we were just looking at the uh, 
tickets to Elton John's. Oh. Yeah, it's Farewell Tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where's the closest he's coming? In New, New Orleans, Orleans or Atlanta. He's coming to New Orleans and Atlanta. An obstructed nosebleed section is like $200, I oh, think. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Or is he at the Smoothie King Center? Or the... Yep. Okay. Wow. But, I think it's But from what it, I hear, it's worth it, though. They say that yeah. he's, got, he's got like a gigantic screen and like... So you realistically stays behind his piano the whole time so you wouldn't be able to see him even if he had a great seat yeah well he came to pensacola i think within the last what was it four or five years ago or something and i for some i don't know why i didn't go there has to be like a specific reason tickets for those shows are always outrageous Mm -hmm. you'll know you're not going to go to an elton john show like under like 120 bucks right what's it called the fair the farewell yellow brick road tour or something like that Yeah. yeah i wonder if it really is his farewell Doing it's one. gonna be like Ozzy and have <laughs> several of them. Most tours. people do, but you figure Elton John's got to be in his seventies, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. If not older, yeah, and has if two not young almost kids. to eighty. Yeah, D- does he have two young kids? Yeah, I think they're like seven and ten, something like that. What? Oh, that's strange. Yeah, a seventy-one. Um, that'll be us. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the, the old dad. And... Oh yeah, that's what I, that's what I was gonna ask. Is there gonna be number eleven? Is there no. plans for number eleven? <laughs> no. We named the last one Coda. He's like he's the caboose. Okay. <laughs> I wonder what Elton John's net worth is. Ooh, do you want to take a guess? I, I don't think it's as high because he doesn't write his songs, but it's still got to be huge. I would guess uh, uh, almost. I would guess a half a billion, probably five hundred million. What would y'all think? Want to guess out in Johns? That's a game we play on what, here. We guess net say? worth. What did you say? Five hundred million. Are <laughs> well, we, we doing the over and under here? I, I, I would say there's no prize. One dollar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the price is right. Um, I, are you are you looking at? What do you think? How much oh, do you oh. think out in Johns worth? Well, they said Freddie Mercury was worth, what, $75 million, and that was, what, 10, 20, 10 years ago? Oh, more than that, yeah. Like, almost 30. That he died? Yeah, well, he died in 90, right? 92. Oh, 92. my gosh. Yeah. It's yeah. almost 30, Shit, that's 28. Yeah. <laughs> he was worth that much? I think that's what they said. I think they said $75 million. I could be wrong, but... Anyways... Five hundred million on, Five, on the on the nose. Is it oh, on the wow, nose? Look at you. <laughs> yes. wow. Good for you. Yeah, man. look at that. See, you shouldn't. There was no point. You guys, I would have won already. Unless you guys just said I agree with you. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that he did. I mean, I I think that he did get writing credit on on his songs too. Uh, most of the ones that he did with Bernie Taupin, mm-hmm. like the ones that everybody knows that are his yeah. biggest hits. I think that Bernie wrote the lyrics and Eric Elton wrote the music right I think, yeah yeah I, i'm pretty sure that uh, so, they, so what they would share royalties yeah. on that just yeah. probably well who knows yeah what right deal they had worked <laughs> out i mean if i got if i got five percent of those royalties i'd be yeah. fine i'd be like yeah. i'll write every day for yeah you. right yeah right. have um, you seen uh the bohemian rhapsody yet yeah we saw it last week and yes. what'd you think i loved it and then of course immediately after i saw it i started Posted on Facebook how much I loved it, and then you start seeing the other BuzzFeed kind of things that come along in your Facebook feed that talk about how 
all the historic inaccuracies in the yeah, movie and I the time. Oh, dude, don't mess that up for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, you know the other band members played a, a huge role in that. Oh yeah, they like the, everything had to go through them before before they let it right, out. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I'm a, I'm a huge Queen fan. Probably they're probably in my top five bands for sure. Yeah. Absolutely, and I was. I thought they did a great job with the movie. I thought the actors that played each of the band members did great. Like, I felt like I was watching Brian May. Yeah. Didn't they, you? Yeah. They found you know? people that looked just like the band. I, yeah. I was really impressed with that. That's what I was told her when we walked out. I'm like, I don't know where they found those guys, but mm-hmm. it was almost like they CGI'd them or something because they looked... It was crazy. Just like Queen, yeah. yeah. But I was, I was almost hoping for more of a biopic rather than... There was so much music in there, yeah. uh, which is great for your just run-of-the-mill mm-hmm. i like queen you yeah, know queen's good cool you know we yeah. will rock you you know whatever so there was probably i think there's i mean there, there had to have been 15 songs in there yeah. in, throughout the performances and everything so probably about an hour's worth of music in the movie and i wanted to see more of the you know the behind the scenes like the right. the, the story you know the freddie's life story and stuff like that yeah. which you did get but you could also tell they were very protective over how how gnarly it really got for him yeah they, you know you could tell that it was a movie for the masses. It, yeah, mm-hmm. it'd be cool to see like an independent movie that somebody else did. That yeah, then got into the nuts and bolts. And I said nuts, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway. It's uh, I would I'd love to uh, I'd love to uh, see it again though. I, I'll probably see it two or three more times for sure. Cause I went mm-hmm. and saw it by myself. I was supposed to take I was supposed to go with my wife, but she had like something else going on. And I said, okay, well, I told you six months ago, the day it came out, that I was going. Uh-huh. So you can't be mad at me, right? <laughs> you know? But no, that wasn't true. But uh, but I still went and saw it, you know? So. Well, cool. Let's, uh, what else? What else is going on with you guys? Um, so we talked about the business. Do you still play? Stuff. Occasionally, I play. Um, I've been playing bass with Joe Fingers and Finger Fire. And, and no like, crap. Yeah, occasionally. And uh... <laughs> oh, uh, is that the band that's got the kid? He's like a that's the band that was represented by old JB. Oh, okay. Now I'm thinking of a totally. Oh, okay. I got you. Okay, I was thinking of a totally different band. Yeah. Did you hear about the? I heard the, the some, little run-in we had. Something that I was. On, on the periphery I heard something about yeah no, there's nothing it has nothing to do with the band the oh. band's great there's no worries there was just a little misunderstanding a little misunderstanding between uh, <laughs> myself the venue and mm-hmm. the, the guy the gentleman who was representing them uh, for a little bit that got a little squirrely for a minute that sounded like it got a little squirrely for a minute yeah and I, I know um, Joe yeah kind of told me a little bit about it and said that he was very appreciative of oh he reached out to me was squashed it immediately yeah got everything taken care of yeah 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 we, we aren't unreasonable <laughs> you know so I didn't know you play I didn't know you played with them that's I, uh, cool well Joe um I'm not from here so I don't have very many people that I really consider to be my friends here it's not that I'm unfriendly. I just don't know very many people, and mm-hmm. uh, outside of our business, I, I don't really get out very much. Uh, you know, I'm, you know, have a few friends that I've made through church and stuff like that. But for the most part, I'm, we stay busy with our kids. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. But um, 
Joe is one of the, the musicians here in town that I really, I, I respect him a lot as a musician, but also um, he has become somebody that I consider a friend. He comes and uh, hangs out with me before, I, you know, he comes to Young Philosopher Society um, at least two or three times a week and has coffee with me. And um, sometimes, in fact, tomorrow morning, he's supposed to bring his accordion and sometimes he sits in with me when I do the preschool music with the kids. And, oh, uh, cool. Yeah, I play acoustic guitar and he plays accordion and it's kind of, it, um, let's see, I'm trying to think of who else I um, I play with. I have played um, quite a few times with uh, Chauncey Crandall. Okay. And uh, In fact, he and Joe and I for a while were getting together at Young Philosophers Society several times a week in the morning time and just kind of playing, practicing with the uh, intent of maybe one day turning into something to maybe play private parties and wedding receptions. It's weird because Joe's very busy doing Fingify and mm -hmm. Chauncey is obviously very busy doing Chauncey and I'm busy doing... Yeah, yeah, family something. business, young philosophers, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, so, so not much time for, you know... For, for playing, I enjoy playing. Mm -hmm. I enjoy playing whenever I can. Well, it sounds like you play a, a bunch of different things too, right? Yeah, yeah. So you pretty much could fill out a band yourself. <laughs> we're, we're trying to get our kids. Um, Peyton, our 10-year-old, plays violin, and Jude, our 7-year-old, plays piano. Um, Maya, our 18-year-old daughter, she sings and plays guitar. And my, um, my oldest son, Logan, his band just came over from Mobile, and played Enlightened Studios last weekend. So, oh, okay. So we, we 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 love music, and we, you know, not all of our kids are musicians, but all of our kids at least enjoy music. Yeah, know, so. yeah. So it's, it's, it's a pretty big part of your life, for sure. Yeah. Oh, definitely, hands down. Yeah, yeah. So what's next then? Or, or is it just right now, just trying to? Well, she is. To Karen, Karen is constantly. Um, studying and learning and training and doing things that to to make beyond expectations a better organization for our employees and for our clients so mm -hmm. she stays How busy many with clients that do you have we have three facilities we have Fort oh Walton. wow we have Fort Walton Beach Crestview and Pensacola so we have three we did have one in Atlanta but we closed that one down it's just um it's kind of so hundreds yes it's kind of hard to tell when you are looking at like the counseling because counseling people come sometimes one time sometimes they come once a month for a year it's hard to tell there um like i said our private school has um between 25 and 30 kids depending on the month and then um i'd say probably about for aba therapy alone probably between 50 to 75 is where we stay but there's always a wait list mm -hmm. there's always you know can we get people off of this wait list and what grades are you, is your private school um it's elementary through middle school okay um there are some high school aged kids that come but they're not performing at the high school level mm -hmm. or they wouldn't be with us so most of the kids are at least uh, a year or two if not more off of the um, where they would normally place them in a classroom setting. Okay. So it's not like um, 
it's not kids that have been like kicked out of like kicked out of school. We have that. Or, yeah, that's yeah. some of that as well. We do have some of that, right? That was actually how really it started. What, well, that's what yeah. made us start our private school because we had clients um, that were they just couldn't stay in school because you have kids on the autism spectrum mm-hmm. with the school zero tolerance policies. If you go to school and tell somebody you're gonna do something bad to them or burn the say, school down, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. They're, they're, that seems to be happening more often now, right? Um, I think I think there are a lot of advancements in the diagnosing process. Because mm-hmm. um, when we first started, it was like one in one ten or something like that. And it's I was showing Karen on uh, CNN this morning. They're saying now it's what was it one in forty? One in forty is what you said. Yeah, that's well, what they were showing on CNN this morning that one in forty kids is diagnosed somewhere on the autism spectrum. Oh wow! I don't necessarily think that. Uh, and I'm not a doctor, nor do I play one on TV. Mm-hmm. I think that it just has more to do with more accuracy in diagnosing, whereas 50 years ago, people that would have just been labeled weird or outcasts or whatever, it turns out they're actually on the spectrum and able to get help now, which is a good thing. I don't... I'm, yeah, it's, absolutely. It, it's not like a cancer diagnosis or something like that where it's, you know... Well, and I don't know much about it, but isn't almost every case unique? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not just as easy as saying that this is how someone is diagnosed. This is the proper steps to take. Right. So I would assume that's why each of your, each each client that you have in there has something very specialized. Yes. A, a program just uh, mm-hmm. tailored directly to them. Yes. So. Right. It's it's it seems like it's a necessity. Absolutely, for sure. Even in the private school, it's um, you know they're on their own track. They're on mm-hmm. their own level of learning, and um, we homogeneously group them so they're not grouped based upon their age we're not gonna have an 18 year old with a five-year-old but they're not grouped based on their age their classroom is based upon where they place in that subject Mm -hmm. and then we go from there are they exempt from your your typical state tests yes okay so then so what uh when they when they graduate or so to speak is that are they getting a high school diploma? Or well, that's why we decided only to go through well, the middle, middle school, school that's age correct, yeah. so that the public schools could then worry about that piece of it. Um, so we don't, we don't, we haven't even <coughs> approached that yet, even though there are some in the high school age range that would probably benefit from mm-hmm. the school. But then, like I said, we've had a couple that have stayed with us into that age group, but their placement hasn't been high school aged. Mm-hmm. How do, how do you keep it together emotionally with that? Because, like, if there's – there have been several times where, you know, you see, you, see, you see one person with a need and it almost breaks your heart because you can only do so much to, to help that. But then when you have that just exponentially at your level, yeah. how, how do you keep that in check? How do you turn it off or not even turn it off but just understand, like, I'm doing, as the, I'm doing the best I can to help as much as possible? Well, I don't think she does. Yeah? I, I don't think – there have been several times I'm like, you know, you have to learn to, learn to tell people no. Yeah. And she can't. <laughs> and now we're like looking into helping the foster care system. And now we're looking into, you know, partnering with some local organizations and all this other stuff. And he's like, do you want to do that? You're okay. Like, you need to stop. I'm like, but they could use our science and they don't know our science. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful. And I wish we could, I went to a conference uh, in Seattle and we did a design thinking workshop I did one 
and uh, we had groups. And uh, one of the things that we talked about doing was getting the behavior science out to high school kids. Like, if we could make that a mandatory class, how amazing would that be to where they would learn how to interact with their environment, knowing the science of behavior, not just guesstimating how behavior works, because it's supposed to work according to scientific rules. And if they knew that, then their life would be so much easier, maybe, just mm. kind of having that understanding. Like, it's really hard for me, other than my family, it's really hard for me to get mad at people because I understand where they're coming from, mm -hmm. you know? Oh, well, this happened and this happened, and that's why they're at this place in their life, and got to kind of understand that. and. Um, so if people, if that was common knowledge for everybody, the world could be, I mean, behavior analysis could save the world. It really mm -hmm. could, but it's getting it out to people for understanding at the level to where they can understand. Is it. this a new, is this a newer thing then? Um, or, or is there just new ideas? It's not brand new, but because insurance hasn't covered it. People, the, the funding hasn't been mm -hmm. there in order for people to pursue it to um, a level like this. Like, if we were to try to get the school systems to do it, they wouldn't do it. They do a psychology class, but then you just learn about general psychology. Right, right. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why don't, why don't, it seems like it's pretty important. Well. It sounds like something I would like to know more about. Right. You know, right. what? I think it will be. I think more information will get out there. Like, like you said, it is fairly new it's not brand new it's been around forever but um the insurances have just started covering it for children with autism and so therefore the information for it has started to get out there there's some old books i can't think of the names right now like glenn latham's book and stuff that was written years ago on parenting and it was behavior analysis but they didn't call it behavior analysis so there's Aubrey Daniels, are you familiar with Aubrey Daniels and his work with um, the corporate world? Bringing out the best in people. Okay. Okay. So bringing out the best in people is pretty much behavior science applied to the corporate world, or I think he actually brought that book in to bring out the best in everybody. But um, So there's been little snippets of it getting disseminated here and there without using that terminology of that's what it is. And um, it's just the... the funding for you know people like us are, are I would love to get it out there and that's one of my goals but it's also you know you have to make a living too so where does your time get focused mm -hmm. um, we recently uh, a couple individuals and I recently started a local chapter of what's called Northwest Florida Association for Behavior Analysis and it's a it's a subgroup of our Florida Association for Behavior Analysis and um, our goal here is to, what we've done, it's very new. We've had it for, what, like six months or something. We've had big people from our field come in and teach our practitioners and our providers and people that are within within our um, organizations and our groups. But one of our goals is to start to try to get it out to the community as well. And But it's hard to get people to come in and talk at a level to where the community will understand it without having a background in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, have you ever considered writing a book? I would love to. Yeah. I I write pretty well. Like when I wrote term papers and stuff, I, I look back and I read them. I'm like, God, did I write that? I don't even know that word. Like, where did that <laughs> word come from? You know. Thesaurus. Yeah. <laughs> and it came from my brain, but you know, I don't. Let me look that up. Like, how, and it fits. And I'm like, how did I write that? So I write really well, but. Um, 
I don't know, my brain works in like a hundred different miles an hour in a hundred different directions. So I would absolutely think it would be fantastic to do something like that. But what would I write about? And, and you know, how, how would that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, probably just your story. I mean, this, <laughs> you know, just how, and how you came to, to be doing that. I mean, it's obvious. It's obvious that you saw something you were passionate about that could also correspond with a need that wasn't being met that you could do. And I, I think that's, isn't that kind of the goal for anybody with what they're doing? I mean, that's how I became uh, doing a, you know, a booking agent. Yeah. I, I, I saw, you know, sometimes artists aren't the best at representing themselves. Sometimes. And they aren't organized. <laughs> they don't know, they don't understand the concept of writing a contract and getting mm-hmm. all the details and things like that. So where, you know, I was in the military for six years, so... But a part of that that I did take is I'm, I'm pretty good with that structure of mm-hmm. taking this, 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 right. and building it. So I was able to see that need and I was passionate about it at the same time, met it, you know, and that, that's really cool that you've done that on your end. And it's yours is far more noble than what I'm doing. Mine is to get artists uh, gigs and get them paid and in turn. But how cool I is that as well? If you, if you obviously music means a lot to you, mm-hmm. I mean, because you're, you're not booking plumbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's pretty cool for you to be able to um, to provide a, a valuable service to people that do something that I'm I'm sure I'm, you have to have a, a certain amount of working respect for the musicians that you book for. So oh, absolutely, especially yeah. in this town. And I mean, you all know this from all the stuff that you do. It, every this town's pretty intertwined our community uh, the music community is intertwined pretty closely right. all the musicians know each other mm-hmm. uh, i would assume in your profession the people that are doing things that similar to you, you just said that you started your own chapter to try to bring other people in right to get involved you can't you can't be an asshole you know <laughs> you have to you have to be no you have to do, to do your job properly and uh you have to it doesn't pay to be an asshole. Yeah, if you screw if you screw people over, you you aren't going to be in business very long. Um, there's, uh, <laughs> go ahead. We uh, had that happen. It's kind of well, like a, a uh, someone tried to start a a business similar to you, or and we're about to get into a Maloney kind of thing to where we. <laughs> okay, that's fine. That's <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have to edit this out. But, yeah. Uh, I think that when you go into business for the wrong reasons, that comes back to bite you and you really have to have a passion for what you're doing Mm -hmm. and it can't be about the money Mm -hmm. um i absolutely love the fact that at this point in our lives we can travel a little bit but if that was taken away i wouldn't go look for another job you Mm -hmm. know i i you have to to do it for the passion you have to do it for the kids yeah and if you do it for any other reason it's not going to work especially if you're dirty with it yeah and we've had several uh situations to where um things have gotten dirty and those people haven't survived well yeah i had to have some pretty i had to have some pretty real conversations with myself and uh, my brother is who i talk to about like a a lot of things if i think maybe i'm messing up or maybe i'm not doing things for certain reasons or something like that when i and when i first was able to get to a point to where I could call that my job to where that's all I did to right. support myself and my family. Um, there wasn't a, it wasn't guilt. It, I was elated that, that that happened, but I almost felt 
because you, you do get a good wage out of it and you do get to make good money, does that take away from from the passion and you wanting to help other people? And and my brother asked me, he asked me one question. He said, he said, well, let me just ask you this. He said, if there was a good opportunity that came up for one of your artists where you would make zero dollars on it, would you offer them that opportunity? And I said, absolutely. And he's like, well, then that's the answer to your question. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so as long as at the end of the day, you, you understand that you aren't doing it you know, just for the money. It's just, uh, someone asked a question the other day about doing charity work. And if someone writes a, uh, if someone writes a, a newspaper article on you for doing that charity work, or you get some praise from it or, or it elevates your brand, so to speak, is that okay? Is that appropriate? And, and I think as long as your heart is in the right place and you know, and you're doing it for that reason, then I think absolutely. I think it's okay for good things to come from you doing good things for other people. I agree with that. And there was a a meme or a Facebook post the other day that was posted and it said, um, uh, if you are taking pictures of what you're doing or you're sharing, like if you went to the, uh, let's say the cold night shelter and you're taking pictures and posting on your Facebook, then you're obviously not doing it for the right reasons. And I was like, they didn't say that to me. It Mm -hmm. was just like one of those memes, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, yes and no. I mean, I've seen people that have, you know, look at what I'm doing, look at what I'm doing. And that, that's one whole you know, into the spectrum. But on the other hand, if Facebook was not, or any social media or the news, because you see it on the news now, if there was no positive focused on, then it's not going to be the same. Like, I, I want to see that other people are doing good things, because then it's like, wow, that's a really cool thing that you're doing, mm-hmm. and the world is a good place. I want to see that. Yeah. I don't want to always just see the negatives. I want to see the good, positive things that people are doing. And you can tell the ones that are doing it because they want to post a picture on Facebook and the ones that are doing it. So I hate for those memes to come out because the people that are doing it for the right reasons but might take like or post, oh, at the shelter tonight, X, Y, and Z happened. Mm-hmm. They're not always doing it for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. So um, I really well, and a lot of that, uh, for example, one of the guests that we've had on here a couple times, Chatham Morgan, he, he has his own nonprofit to where he feeds homeless people uh, several times a week over here. Uh-huh. And I didn't know about it. And I know Chatham fairly well, but I didn't know about it until recently. You know why? Because Chatham's not posting about it and right. doing it every week. But right. the thing is, at the same time, I, if he was posting about it, there's been several days where I've been like, you know what, I'm going to go over there and help them out for the day. You know what I'm saying? So I feel yeah. like you might lose opportunities too by do. not doing it. And Shane and I had the same thing when we went over to uh, the Monday after her, the hurricane came. Uh, we wanted to wait until things kind of settled down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, also our schedules timed up as well. But like on the way over there, we kind of had that like the discussion, please don't take any pictures. Uh, don't post anything. Like We were pretty clear about that because we didn't want – there were so many people that were – just kind of rubbed me the wrong way because they were over there taking pictures of everything they were doing and posting it. And that's cool that they're helping. Yeah. And, but where, where do you, where do you draw that line? Don't take yourself. It's really tough. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. So I, I, I basically told Shannon, like, please don't take any pictures of me. Please don't post anything, you know, that we're out here because it was just tough. Even I was, when I was in the air force, I was over there for six years. So that was my, that was my home for a little bit of time. Where's that? In uh, Panama city okay. at Tyndall air force base mm-hmm. is where I was. And uh, just just going through like driving by where I used to live, that's not even there anymore, right. and all that. Like we were just we didn't even know what to say to each other. We were just it's it it's unexplainable how terrible it was over there. So we just we found a couple families that that had specific needs that we could meet, and we took care of it out there for the whole day, right? And then came back home. But at the at the end of the day, it was, I don't know. It was it was crazy being over there. It was it was pretty wild. 
So yeah, we had um, loaded our kids up and went to Orlando, and um, just to try to get clear away from it. And um, on the way back home, you know, the the I ten was closed on that on that Thursday, so we <coughs> were not able to come back when we wanted to. But um, we took two cars, obviously, because we have a shitload mm-hmm. of kids. <laughs> <laughs> but she, um, being the smart one of this duo, um, she filled up right before she got on I-10. Oh, good Lord. Whereas, Can I tell this story? Whereas <laughs> I filled up right before I left Orlando. So... I thought, hmm, yeah. hurricane hit around this area. I need to make sure my tank is full. Yeah. He didn't think that. I, I filled up as I was leaving Orlando, and I got to uh, around Tallahassee. I got down to about a quarter of a tank. I said, okay, well, I should probably stop and get some gas now. And like, there <laughs> yeah, was none to be found. Yeah, there was yeah. none to be found. And the stations that had gas, uh, they didn't have power, so their pumps weren't working. Mm-hmm. And... Um, but I remember just being blown away at just the destruction that far inland up to I-10 oh, yeah. because um, up around Bluntstown and stuff, mm-hmm. it looked like um, the old footage that you see. And it's really cliche. People talk about nuclear waste and this and that. you know. But it really um, – I lived in Pensacola when Hurricane Ivan hit mm-hmm. and lost the house that I was renting at the time because I got like four feet of water in the house. And I remember going to my parents' house in Alabama and coming back post-Hurricane Ivan, and I'd never seen trees snapped in half. I've seen trees fall over before, but I'd never seen trees snapped in half. But coming back after Michael and seeing just fields of trees that were snapped in half, it it just blew me away. Yeah, with nothing on them. Yeah, yeah. Just completely bare. Uh, No, it did. It looked like a bomb went off. Yeah, it made me wonder... uh, where, where are the tops to these trees, you know? Mm-hmm. And because that's got to be another whole other different kind of damage and destruction wherever they landed, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, that was, anyway, I, I did find gas and I did make it home. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, sweet. Uh, that, that puts that about an hour. So thanks mm-hmm. for coming in. Yeah, Is you, there man. anything else that our listeners should know? If they think that maybe a family member could benefit from their services, how can they, uh, how can they seek your assistance? Um, well, we have a, a main line. The number is 850-362-6824. That's for the therapy company. Um, we also have a, um, we have a website, and it's beyondexpectationsaba.com. Make sure you put the ABA. I didn't check that out before I Uh-oh. got the domain name. Um, <laughs> so it's beyond expectations, aba.com. And uh, that tells a little bit more about our services and stuff. Okay, cool. <laughs> and cool. if anybody's interested in a Young Philosopher Society, they can go to our Facebook page. And um, if anybody in listening to the podcast um, has a specific trade or craft or something that they do that they think they might like to teach a class or um, they could message us directly through the Facebook page and it will come to my phone or Karen's phone because we're constantly looking for things to offer the community and we are a nonprofit organization so yeah um, well cool yeah. yeah I would love for more classes to be offered but I personally don't have the time to do them and yeah Shane and I could teach how to properly host a trivia event Yes, you do.
Yeah, I, I'm serious. You should do the pod, podcast boot camp. Yeah. Well, if you have any, I know we talked a little bit about that beforehand, but if you have any questions or, or anything, just you can hit us up or whatever. Awesome. We'd be glad to help for sure. We'd even, you know, could come and take a look at like your space and everything. Like these sound panels I built myself and I don't know anything about any of that stuff. But the because the first one we did in here was, do you know Shane Curl? Yeah. He was our first, our first guest in here. And it was just, there was so much stuff wrong with the room that just made it really uncomfortable to do a podcast in. And with all the traffic on 98, that, that that's a big window, that's a big window, and that's a big window. So these mics just picked up everything, so oh, yeah. you really couldn't host a podcast. So. Um, but, uh, but yeah, well, thank you for coming in. Thank you. Thanks uh, for having us. So yeah, thanks, everyone, for listening to episode 49. We have, a, we have a big one coming up for you for 50 as well. And uh, from then on, we're going to probably bring back some of our... Uh, some of our other guests as well and, and do some things a little different. We have some different ideas to do. So thanks everyone for listening. Uh, thank you all for coming in and uh, we'll see y'all later. Thank you. My heart was always telling me how I felt. My car was always telling me to put on my seatbelt. Stop sign is always telling me to stop. Don't, but there's one big dude.